It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. What a joy to spend time with Tangela Irby as she shared with me about her journey to learn more about her G's Bend family. I was very impressed with these three statements of hers that I hope to incorporate as I continue to make a Quilter's Life podcast. She says, When you see your family doing something, you don't realize that everybody doesn't do it. You don't know what's special about your family until you learn about someone else's family. And also, let's take the time to learn about each other's families. I'm so glad I'm able to record stories of others and I hope that we learn to really listen to each other. Tangela, thank you for joining me on A Quilter's Life. So glad to have you. Thank you for having me. Let's start with, tell me where you were born and raised. Well, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I was raised here, went through public schools here in the city. And actually, this is where I am now. Do you have a special childhood memory of growing up there in Bridgeport? I think the thing that I remember most is just being very, very active and involved in terms of going to church every Sunday and seeing more family there, the church that we happened to attend. A lot of people who were from the same hometown my parents were from attended church there, so it was always a warm and welcoming place. And I think it's just something I will always remember. So that would be one of the biggest things. We went to church here in the city of Bridgeport as well. Nice. Church family is so important. Very. Very. It's a huge part of who I am in terms of being a person, the lifelong lessons and things that we learn there or things that I carry with me as an adult. So it is a very big part, you know, whether it was, you know, Sunday school, the Sunday school outings. I was on the usher board. So was my mom. Growing up, we would have visit different churches and do the anniversaries on Sundays. So it was just a huge part of who I was growing up. Do you have a lot of family there in Bridgeport? There is a lot. There is a huge amount of people who are here, again, from my parents' hometown. They were born and raised in Jeesman, Alabama. And a lot of people migrated here when they got old enough to go out and start working and being able to contribute to their families. So, yes, there's quite a bit of family right here in the city of Bridgeport. Cool. Now, was it your parents or your grandparents that moved up there? It was my parents who moved here. Okay. My grandparents always lived in G's Bend, which is now Boykin, Alabama. And typically, they would come visit, but it wouldn't even be for a long period of time. They really stayed close to home, but it was many of their children who decided that they wanted to move away to live a different lifestyle whether it was to be able to be closer to work, to be able to raise a family, to make a living, and then be able to help by sending money or sending clothes, sending things back to help support the people who are back to what we call people who are home. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was the draw to Bridgeport, Connecticut, rather than another state? My experience was it was usually there was someone who came before them. 
So when my mom moved here, she already had some first cousins who were here. So when she came up, she moved and she lived with them for a little while. So it really depended. And when I think about it, we have family that they came to Bridgeport, Connecticut. They went to Boston, Mass. They went to Brooklyn, New York. So there were quite a few different places. But for my parents, they ended up here in Bridgeport. Now, were they married already and came up or did they meet up there? So they knew each other in Alabama, but no, they did not date in Alabama. They started dating actually when my father was living in New York and my mom was here in Connecticut. Wow. Mm -hmm. Share with me about your employment. So interestingly enough, growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher. But in high school, I remember that there was a change. Everything was about the business world. The business world was going to be the solution for everything. You don't want to be a teacher. If you become a teacher, you'll never be able to take care of yourself. And so under the direction of guidance, I went to Bryant College, which is now Bryant University. That's how long ago that was. (laughs) And I ended up with a degree in business administration. Unfortunately, or fortunately, by the time I got ready to graduate, the business world wasn't doing what they thought it would do. And there weren't a lot of jobs. And actually, the pay wasn't even that great when I graduated. So at that point, I was encouraged, look, you always wanted to be a teacher. Why don't you go back to school and become certified to teach? And so that was what I did. So I went to one of the local universities here. I was in their internship program, which meant that the school district paid for me to go back to school. And I substituted for them all day. And I completed the program. I ended up being certified to teach. I ended up getting a job in the same district that had helped me become certified. And I knew going in, because I had a degree in business administration, that I wanted to marry that with my teaching credentials. I taught second grade for six years. And then I ended up being an administrator in the school district for 16 years altogether. At that point, I had another transition. I ended up coming back to Bridgeport. I took care of my mom for a while when she was sick. And after losing my mom, you think about life and you think about all these things that you want to do and you end up not doing them, some of us, because you're doing other things. So at that point, I really took a minute. I took a breath and I said, you know what? There were some things that I've always wanted to do that I just didn't do. So I ended up going back to school at that point, and I received a certificate in human resources because I was always interested in HR as well. I have a lot of different interests. Mm-hmm. You know, they always say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan, right? <laughs> so <laughs> what ended up happening is I met a woman who actually worked in the education department at the college. She was also getting a degree in HR. And she said to me, she said, you know, have you ever thought about teaching at the college level? People would talk about that all the time. If you're a teacher, for me, my experience, again, was that people would often say, oh, you're teaching in elementary school. When are you going to become a college professor? They see that as the trajectory. That's the next thing that you need to do. And so we talked a little bit, and she called me one day, and she said, you know, remember you gave me your resume? I passed it on. You may be getting a phone call. And sure enough, I was given the opportunity to teach at the college level. So I've been doing that. I started in 2017. And so I work in their teacher prep program. I work with graduate and undergraduate students who want to be teachers. And I absolutely love it. I love bringing to them the experiences that I've had being in a school building for so long. I'm able to add to the, in terms of the content that I'm teaching, but to also give them some real world 
real life experiences that I've had in the classroom, either as a teacher or as an administrator. And I'm absolutely loving it. So what I ended up doing on top of that, I have LLC'd. So I have a consulting business. It's Learning Advantage Network Diversified. So currently I am working with Yale University with the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. So I work with the ruler approach. So I'm also training teachers and helping students and adults, helping us to embrace our emotions and to learn how to use how we're feeling or really, really be in tune with how you're feeling. And to be able to, for example, if you're feeling an emotion and trying to find out where it comes from, why am I feeling this way? If you want to change your emotion, there are some things that you can do. We talk about self-care a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you find yourself really, really down, maybe you need to take a moment to take care of yourself. You can't take care of everybody else if you're not taking care of yourself. So that's another thing that I've started doing. And I'm really, really enjoying my time working with and learning from, again, adults who are working in educational settings with children. So for me, that whole piece about teaching and learning is really, really important. I enjoy taking something that might be complex and then breaking it down and seeing the look of accomplishment on someone's face when they finally understand something they may have been struggling with. Isn't it fun to see that light bulb go on? It really is. It really is. I know for myself, the sense of accomplishment when I overcome something that I thought that I couldn't do. And then all of a sudden, like you said, the light bulb goes on and it's like, wow, this wasn't as hard as I thought it was. (laughs) And so to be able to give someone that experience, to be able to give someone that gift. So these are all things, again, that you look back at life and you want to make sure you're doing the things that bring you joy. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've been able to find that. Sometimes in life you go through the journey is not always a straight line, right? So you may go left and then realize, wait a minute, I needed to go right. (laughs) But the hope is eventually you get it together. And so in terms of, you know, what I'm doing now, again, I'm just able to do what I enjoy doing for different groups of people. And Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying the ride. That is so cool. Just stepping stones to where you are now. Mm -hmm. And everything, every journey, everything that I've done, there's nothing that I did in terms of my professional or personal career that I say now, wow, I wish I hadn't done that because everything that I've done has brought me to the point that I, and you hear that a lot, but it is so true. Mm-hmm. You might look back, you may not have understood why you were going through something in life. And then now when you're on the other side, you're like, oh, that's why I went through that. Now I'm able to advocate for myself. Now I'm able to really, really relate to someone on a different level because of an experience that I had before. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you live now where you were born and raised. Did you ever go away and come back or you've been there the whole time? So I went away, obviously, the four years when I was at Bryant, which is in Rhode Island. So I was away from Connecticut there. And then I taught here in Stratford, which is the next town over from Bridgeport. I was there for six years. And then I worked in a district up near Hartford, Connecticut, which is about an hour away before I came back. So all of my experience has been right here in Connecticut. Okay. I don't know. People often ask, do you think you'll ever move? You know, will you move back south? Will you do this? You know, I never say never. The only time, honestly, (laughs) to be completely honest with you, that I think about moving is the winters in the Northeast. As Mm -hmm. I get older, they seem to be a little colder. (laughs) (laughs) So that's probably the only time that I really think about moving away. 
I have a really good friend who lives in Florida. And when I go to visit her, it's something about the sun, the way it feels in Florida. It just seems like, I don't know, it's almost like you're recharging constantly. You get your energy from the sun. And to be somewhere where we don't always have the access to the sun, that's the only time that I think, wow, I think I could live here. (laughs) There's a lot of people that do winters south and come back to the north for the summer. Exactly. So I don't know. So we'll see. You never know where life takes you. Mm -hmm. You If you had asked me 10 or 15 years ago if I would be in this space right now, I probably would have told you no way. Right. Things change. We go through different things in life. We lose loved ones and, you know, your life goes into a different direction. But under every circumstance, you just hope that the things that you're doing and the decisions that you're making are things that will make them proud of you. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much, you know, in terms of that, where I am right now. As we move on, besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? So it's so funny because living in this COVID world, I chuckled when you said that because a lot of the things that I love to do, you don't have the opportunity to do them anymore. I'm one that always would love to host events, whether it be with my sorority. I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, and we're always doing fundraisers, having a scholarship function. You know, we're always doing things like that. So I was the one who, you know, we want to do a favor for the table, coming up with the different themes. So anything that's going to bring people together in a social environment, those are the things that I love to do. You know, the arts and crafts side of that whether it's planning a program and, you know, deciding which pictures we're going to use and, you know, what font we're going to do. All those things I really, really love. And I've always been that way. But like you said, I do enjoy quilting. It's been a while since I've been able to really sit down and make or quilt. But the interesting piece is I had the opportunity the other day I was doing something and I was going through all the different quilts that I've made. And I was amazed that I've done so many, you know, and I've also given quilts away. So anything when it comes to arts and crafts and sitting down, I don't do it often, but I enjoy drawing or painting. Oh, cool. So those are some of the things that I enjoy doing. And definitely baking. That's something else that I enjoy doing that I haven't had. I think that taps into your creativity as well. Mm-hmm whether it's icing the cupcakes or the presentation of whatever it is. But those are some of the things that I really enjoy doing. How neat, because when people do come to those events, it is so cool to have it all coordinated and it just makes everything so much better. It really does. To me, the best part is when you sit back and you see how everything does come together. That is the biggest compliment that you can get when you sit back and you see other people's reaction to something that you've done, mm-hmm. something that you've created, something that you've made, something that you poured your heart into. Yeah. Who introduced you to quilting? So the interesting piece is growing up and being the descendant of G's Ben Quilters, we always had quilts. It was just a part of our existence as a family. And I remember I left Bridgeport and I had moved up near Harford and I was working and I was talking to someone who was an avid quilter. And I said to her, you know, I would really like to make a quilt. And so every time we would talk, we'd talk about quilting. And she finally said, you know what, that's it. 
So she came in one day, she gave me a couple yards of fabric, and she said, what day this week are you staying after school and we're going to quilt? And so we went into the conference room, we spread everything out, she showed me how to piece the pieces together that I wanted to use, and then I just had to go home and sew them together. And so that was really my first, you know, hands-on introduction to quilting. I didn't learn how to quilt from a family member. It was from a woman who was, again, an avid quilter, and she was also a member of a quilt guild. So I also joined the quilt guild, and I would go to the meetings and learn about different patterns of quilts and see, you know, women would bring in the different things that they were working on. We would do a mystery quilt. They did so much. I was able to learn a lot from them. So part of my personal journey is I want to to learn more about my family and how my family quilts. And so that's really my work right now, Mm -hmm. to learn more and more. At that time when she was teaching you to quilt, did you realize the importance of the quilt spec in Alabama at G's Bend? You know, it's interesting. Growing up, I did not because I really felt that, you know, when you see your family doing something, you think everyone does it. You don't think there's anything out of the ordinary. People's grandparents they make quilts. That's what they do. And it wasn't until I started talking to other people and finding out that, that everyone doesn't have a quilt story that I realized that this was something that was really, really special about my family. And then, of course, with the, you know, the books that came out and the press that the quilt started getting, it really amplified that sentiment that this is something that's really, really special. Both of my grandmothers left this earth not knowing about the gift that they had left. Wow. That it would be appreciated by more than just, you know, their children and family and friends that they had gifted these beautiful quilts to. Mm-hmm. I'm just letting that sink in that yeah. they didn't get to see that, but yet they still had the happiness or joy of seeing their family appreciate it. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you never know what people's beliefs are. In my heart of hearts, I believe that they know now. I really do believe that, you know, that's a part of, you know, what our beliefs mm-hmm. in terms of people that we love never really leave us, that they're always here and seeing and, you know, watching what we're doing. But that's my hope that they know. They had no idea that quilts, not, if, even if not necessarily their quilts, but quilts like theirs would be hanging in museums across the country that they would be in the Whitney, they would be in the Smithsonian, or that they would have a show over in London. Even there was a show at a museum in London. It probably just closed recently. It's just amazing. It really is. And, you know, for them to do something that they were just taught to do, it wasn't something that they had an opportunity to go to college and learn how to do. Or, you know, they heard scholars talk about, you know, patterns and quilting and, you know, how you must do them. These quilts were really from their creativity. It was the ideas and things that they thought of. They weren't copying something that they saw in a book in terms of a quilt, and I'm going to make a quilt just like this. You know, it really was out of utility. I need, I have children. I need to keep them warm. We're going to make quilts to do that. So they were just doing what loving mothers do. <laughs> yeah. I got to watch the video you did. One part in it, you mentioned, I think it was your grandmother that said with the pattern that God just gave her the pattern. And I love that. Yeah. So the book quotes and different things in a the book, there are compilations of different things and different people. 
and talking to my aunt, who's Mary Lita Petway, who still lives in Jesus in Alabama. And we have conversations and we talk all the time, especially since my mom has passed. We talk even more. And she's always giving, you know, you talk about on Clubhouse, dropping nuggets and gems, right? Mm -hmm. So this has been a part of her life since I've known her, that she always has these just things that, whether it's a word of encouragement or something that you need to put in your back pocket, because one day you're going to have to pull this out. And she's constantly saying things. And so talking with her, like, how do you come up with all these patterns? And she's like, well, I talk to God and he gives it to me. He gives me a pattern every time. Mm -hmm. So many of those things and like the statement about you can't do my best, you can only do your best. Yeah. Well, that was something that her father told her that she remembers from the ages of eight or nine. She's never forgotten that. And she always gives that back to other people. Because you think about, we always have those people that we go to when we need encouragement. Everyone needs someone. If you don't have someone, that's something that you need to get. You need to find that one person that whenever you're down, you know that you can go to that person and they're going to lift you up. And she uses all of her life experience to do that. She will definitely lift you up. We all can probably name four or five people that we know that you could call and immediately you know that they're going to say something that agitates you or they're not going to lift you up, right? For some reason, it's easier to do that in life. So that's why you need to be strategic and know when you're down, uh oh, you better not call person X. I better call person Y. <laughs> that's what I need right now. <laughs> Tangela, do you have a favorite quilt? I've been asked that question before, and I have to say I have two. And one was made by my grandmother, Curly Kennedy Petway, and the other one was made by Jensi Lee Irby. Between the two of them, I can't pick one as liking it more than the other. They're both special to me because I have something that my grandmother's made for me. Or I should say our family has because they're our family treasures. They don't necessarily belong to one person. So, yes, those are the ones that are most important to me, um, more special to me. As they start getting older, you know, you can peek in and you can take a look at the batting. You see the old cotton with the little seeds in it. It just represents so much in terms of, like I said, they're no longer here with us. But something that they created is still here. A piece of love that they passed down. We have a tangible piece of something that meant a lot to them that they gave to us. So I would have to say that those two quotes are the most important to me. I'm just picturing you touching that quilt, just knowing that your ancestors touched that quilt. And Exactly. And it was so ironic when we did, you referenced the talk that we did with the library. Mm-hmm. And so the library was closed. We did it. It was a virtual read, but we actually did it in the space. And, you know, the librarian, because we were trying to find a way to drape it, and she was like, oh, can I touch it? Do you want me? Do you want me to put on gloves? And it's not that... Obviously, you can't have 100 people touching the quilt. But if I'm in a situation where there's just a few of us, yes, touch it, feel it. When my grandmothers made it, it wasn't their idea that the quilt would be in a museum, for example, and no one could ever touch it or feel the love is the way I'm going to explain it, right? It was made for people to use. Granted, I remember I had a conversation with Edgenetta, who was a famous quilter here in Connecticut, and we were talking about the quilt and she was advising me, you know, you want to take it off for your bed. You want to find a way to preserve it and keep, you know, et cetera. And so I did that, but I still, whenever possible, I want people to be able to experience, to take a look at it. I often think of quilts that are in the museums right now or people who actually sell their older quilts. 
I don't like to say never, but I really don't think that I would be able to sell it. But you want people to be able to see it and you want people to be able to appreciate it. So the idea, for example, having it hang in the museum, something like that I would be open to. But to sell a G-spin quilt that was made years and years and probably before I was born, it's not in my heart to do right now. I'll put it that way. I would have a hard time parting with, regardless of the money. (laughs) I do laugh, though. I say sometimes, well, if someone offered me a million or a couple million dollars, I don't know. I might think grandma wanted me to have that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's definitely not something that I could do lightly. I would really have to think long and hard because it's not like I could have her make me another one. Right. Yeah. Not on this side of heaven, Mm -mm. I'll put it that way. Right. You know. Can you tell me about the first quilt you made? So the first quilt that I made, we talked about, made at school. And uh, what was interesting is that she knew, um, her name was Shirley Allgrove. She knew that I loved sunflowers. And so she gave me material that had sunflowers all over it. And so I actually have a picture of it on my Facebook page, uh, G's Been Made. And so people wanted to go and take a look. You can take a look there. I can't remember the name of the pattern, but I know it's basically it's strip quilting and you would cut the strips and then turn them opposite. Similar to a split rail. I remember rail, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. This was probably 20 years ago now. But yeah, so that was my very first one. And something else that's interesting, too, is that these bin quilters, the majority of what they do is hand quilting. At least that's what my grandparents did. It was hand quilted. And when I learned to quilt, I didn't learn to hand quilt. I was taught to tie the quilt. So I remember the first time I brought it home, my mom was like, what is this? (laughs) 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 Because that's not something that she was familiar with at all. And then the other thing that we would often laugh about was the size of the quilts. So the quilts that I learned to make, they were really like lap quilts, Uh you know, or something that could be a wall hanging, but it wouldn't be something that you would put on a full size bed. So the idea of making smaller quilts, again, was another foreign thought because back then the quilts were really, really big. Yeah. So did your mom make a funny face with that? (laughs) <laughs> I won't say it was, well, yes, I'll say it was a funny face, but we laughed. Yeah. <laughs> we laughed, but yes, it was. Because like I said, that wasn't her experience. You know, she was used to the really, really large quilts for the beds. Yeah. But I did end up, because she said that, I did end up making a bigger quilt. And the funny thing about that is the quilt that I made, it was one of the ones that we had learned how to do with the quilt guild. So I made the quilt. And like I said, it's a pretty big one. And it must have been maybe 10 years after that, we came across another quilt that my maternal grandmother made. And if you look at them, the patterns are so similar. It was almost scary to see the two quilts <laughs> wow. side by side. Yes, it really was. That would be so neat. So I have made quilts that are large and then smaller quilts as well. And the other thing that I was able to do, because like I said, I told you that I was taught to tie quilts. And so what I did, that was probably maybe 15, 16 years ago, I would make the quilt top 
and buy the fabric that I wanted to use for the back. And mm-hmm. then I was able to take them to G's Ben and I had a cousin of mine quilt them for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my cousin, um, we call her Andy, my cousin Andrea Williams quilted them for me. So I have a couple of quilts. Again, I did the tops, but then she did the quilting. So all of my quilts aren't tied. I just didn't quilt them. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would make a quilt now, would you still tie it? You know what? The next step for me is I want to learn a hand quilt. So I think if I were to make a quilt today, I would probably have to wait till everything is over with COVID. But I would like to go back to G's Bend and sit at my aunt's feet and have her show me how she quilts her quilts. That would be so you know, neat. I'd love a picture be. of that. Yes, I would love a picture of that, right? Again, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily realizing what you have right there in terms of your family treasures. That's really, really big for me is that I came to this now as an older adult, right? So yeah. think about the beauty in teaching our younger children to appreciate these things earlier so that they'll have more opportunities to learn from more individuals in their family who is actually the originators of the family legacy. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you don't know what's special about your family until you learn about somebody else's family. So I think if we start having these discussions with our children, and I don't have children. So when I say my children, I'm talking about my nieces, because those are mine too. My brother yeah. and sister-in-law just have to share them, right? <laughs> but I want them to understand and appreciate the beauty of everything that our family has brought or given the world. So you think about the gift of quilting. Our family has a stake in that. And if we don't instill that in the young ones, then who's going to be able to carry that torch? Who's going to remember how to do some of the things that our ancestors did? Mm -hmm. When you're making your quilts, do you have a favorite tool you like to use? The thing that I enjoyed using was the rotary cutter, believe it or not. (laughs) Laying the fabric down on the mat and cutting it with the rotary cutter. (laughs) Which again, my grandparents, they didn't have access to that. You know, they were cutting things with scissors or even tearing fabric. They use old clothing. Yeah. And so they had to use whatever they had. And if they didn't have the right scissors or the right way to cut it, they ripped things. So it really was a lesson in, you know, be grateful for what you have and use it. And it's amazing the beautiful things they made with scraps and leftovers. Exactly. And again, it's a life lesson. Use what you have. When people moved from the South and they came here with the idea that they were going to help. So you might have some old shoes that are a size five. And you, you know, Tanza, can you use these shoes? Well, my feet are nowhere near a size five, but I would take them from you because I know someone who could use them. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all about the community. So if I couldn't use them, I put them in a box and I send them back down south and someone there could use them. Yeah. So it's about always thinking about more than just yourself. Mm-hmm. It's about how can I help somebody else? And these were all life lessons. Again, I think that especially during a time like now where we're in a pandemic and so many people need help. So, you know, you might not need something in there. You know, there are places that are giving away food, food boxes. They're um, helping with services. And, you know, if you can't use it, find someone who can. It's all about being grateful. Yeah. You know, and taking care of what you have so that you can be blessed with even more. 
Yeah, it's amazing how that works. The Lord mm-hmm. really blesses, doesn't he? Yes, and it really does. It works. How about your favorite part of the quilting process? The favorite part for me is putting the binding on. Because that whole sense of joy in that you started this project and you're about to be done. It's about to be finished. You know, you can see it coming together. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to my aunt again, Mary Letha, about that, and it was unprompted. We were just talking and she said, you know, when I get to the end of the quilt, I feel complete. So there's a sense of, you know what, I set this goal. I wanted to finish this. And I did it. I'm doing it. So for me, that's the best part. Yeah. It really is. So whether it was I'm doing it to give it away as a gift or it's something that I did because I wanted to do it for myself, it's that whole sense of accomplishment. Describe your worst quilting experience. For me, the worst is when I realized I did something wrong and you have to start taking it apart. Mm-hmm. That I never enjoyed. And I even remember you getting to that part and saying, you know what, I have to put this down (laughs) (laughs) and come back to it another day. (laughs) Especially you get going and you're moving right along and you think it's coming together perfectly and then you look at the other side or whatever it is. And it's like, it's not the way you wanted it. Mm -hmm. Or you realize you put the wrong pieces together. Those are the things that would drive me crazy. Yeah. Or have you sewn two pieces together and realized they were both facing up instead of... (laughs) (laughs) So you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes. When that happens, it's usually because I'm pushing it. I should have stopped sewing an hour ago, but I just wanted to keep going. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What has drawn you to making quilts rather than using your time in doing other things? So when I was quilting, and like I said, I haven't had the opportunity to do it in a while, but it's usually because there's a goal behind it. So for example, I just saw this pattern and I really, really want to do this quilt. And so whether it's right or wrong, you do that rather than doing things you're avoiding doing at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like if you know you have to clean the house and your favorite room is not the bathroom, so you'll start somewhere else first, right? So that's really where I am with that. But yeah, so it becomes a priority because it's something you really want to do. And like I said, even when you set up, okay, I'm going to give myself an hour and I'm going to stop. I would find myself, okay, that hour was at 10 o'clock. It might be two o'clock in the morning. I'm still going. Because <laughs> I don't know, it's something about it. And I think a piece of it is we talk about self-care. A piece of it is that because it relaxes you. Mm-hmm. It calms you. It's not anything that's harmful. It's not like it's alcohol and too much of alcohol is going to do something to you. It's not like you're smoking. You can't, mm-hmm. don't want to smoke too much. I found that it was a natural high almost mm-hmm. that when you just get going with that sewing machine and it's not that like when I would sew, my mind would wander, but it was usually on good stuff. Yeah. I, I would be in a good place. So it's not like I'm sewing and I'm thinking about or not thinking about anything. There are things that are on my mind. And it could even be sometimes I remember, you know, I might be dealing with something, a problem that needed to be solved. And, you know, through relaxing and sewing, I find myself coming up with strategies and solutions that were going to be helpful. Yeah, that's great. Who do you usually make your quilts for? 
have given away a couple and they're generally, believe it or not, maybe it's the educator and me working with children at the time, but it would always be for a friend who adopted a baby or when my niece was born. So generally, those are the situations where I think, oh, I want to give them a quote. But like I said, a lot of them I still have. Yeah, that's neat. Mm -hmm. Are you working on one right now? I am not. It's been a while, actually, since I've quilted. When I think about, like I said, the changes that I made professionally and personally in my life right now, I've been really, really busy really busy, but it's something that I know I'm going to go back to because I have one of my nieces, the younger one, has mentioned that she's really interested in learning. That's going to be my motivation to have the rest of the world stop a little bit and really sit down with her and help her to get started because she wants to learn. A few years ago, I shared with them a quilt book that's out, a G's Van Quilter's book, and my grandmother, Pearlie Kennedy Petway, is actually in the book. Oh, neat. Yes, and they're old enough now, so I wanted to show it to her. So she opens the book, and she's reading through it. She's reading quotes of my uncle, Robert Petway, and then she's reading a quote that they had in the book of my mom, Florida May Irby, and asking questions about what she's reading. So they're old enough now, and they're really interested in it. So that will definitely be the motivation to get me to you know, get back in there and start sewing mm-hmm. so that I can show them. And I believe there's different phases in our life, and sometimes we can concentrate on one area, and sometimes we have to set it aside for a while. Exactly, exactly. But there'll be a reason and to go back. And like I said, I'm on my own personal journey because there are things that I want to know more about in terms of my family history and what they did, and then I want to be able to pass that down. Yeah. Can you share a quilting tip? I'm going to flip the question and I'm going to say maybe someone could help me with how do you quilt and not buy so much fabric? Hmm. So if there was a tip, if I could give someone a tip, maybe it's more of a warning that just be prepared that once you start, it's almost like I can't even explain it. I don't want to say it's an addiction. But when I look on Instagram and I look on different pages and I'm looking to see what other quilters are doing and they're in their zone and they're sewing and you're looking on the shelves in the back of the room and you see nothing but fabric, fabric everywhere, piles and piles and piles and piles of fabric. So I guess I would say if you're quilting, you don't have piles of fabric, either you just started (laughs) 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 or you're not there yet. But that was something that, uh, yes, just fabric everywhere, everywhere. But one of the things that I did that I absolutely loved, again, when I was quilting, if I made a quilt and I had extra fabric, because there's no such thing as garbage. The scraps, you use everything. Mm -hmm. And so I remember a couple of times I would send either, like I said, I was sending quilts to have somebody else quilt for me in G's Bend. And so I would send like some of the extra or pieces of fabric. And so now when I see quilts that my aunt's making, for example, Someone will maybe purchase something and they'll post it online and I'm looking. I see pieces of fabric from quilts that I made. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that would be something, too. But if you have a family member or someone that you both quilt to try to do that, it's like almost a little secret thing that's between me and her when I see these pieces. Yeah. 
And that happens a lot. So that would be something that I would say if you if you're sewing through generations, for example, you and your daughter or you and your niece or whatever, to share things like that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Because it's interesting to see where those pieces end up. Yeah. Well, I also want to get to the book you wrote, Pearl and Her G's Band Quilt. Yeah. such a cute book, and I love the great quotes you have in it. Thank you. Thank you. There's just so much, and a lot of what is interesting we're talking about the book now, but a lot of the things that we talked about, we talked about the book right. because a lot of these things are in there. I mean, it's in there about how they use old clothing, for example. It's in there about how the quilts kept people warm. We talked about legacy building and how grandmothers are teaching their grandchildren how to quilt. And Pearl is a granddaughter of a jeans bin quilter. And she's decided that, you know, she wants to make her own jeans bin quilt. And she has her friends and they basically say, you can't do that. And mm-hmm. so she goes on and she explains to them how she can and she knows how to do it. The other thing that's interesting that I want to mention is I talked to you about quilts that are in our family and G's been quilts. The price tags are really, really high. And a lot of people I know, for example, I couldn't afford to purchase a, a G's Bin quilt, especially not one of the older ones, right? Mm-hmm. And so I talked to you about the quilt that my grandmother made. And then years later, we found and I made a quilt similar. That's the quilt that's on the cover of the book. Oh, neat. That is my grandmother, Pearlie's quilt. And that's where Pearl comes from. It's short from Pearlie, mm-hmm. who was my grandmother. Yeah, so that's her quilt on the cover. And this has been, it's been an absolutely amazing ride. I read the book off into elementary, middle, and even high school students. And we talk about what's in the book. And the questions that I'm getting from students are really, really blowing my mind. Questions and comments. I had a student after I read the book, he said, you know what? I'm going to go home and ask my parents what our family traditions are. Oh, neat. Yes, the book is about my family and my family quilts, and we have a lot of history. And I hope that children and adults read this book. They say, oh, well, I want to go back. I want to learn more about what's a sharecropper. I want to go back and learn. She says they use flower sacks for the backing. What's that? Who did that? What does that look like? And that makes it relevant for adults. It makes it relevant for high school students. It's not just for the little ones. Mm -hmm. I want people to learn more about the importance of and just the place that quilts have in our lives in terms of this is something, again, going back to the love that a grandparent would have for a grandchild. When you wrap yourself up in that quilt, and the quilts back then were really, really heavy. It's a weighted hug. That's the first weighted blanket, right, with the jeans <laughs> being quilt. <laughs> but I want people to understand the treasure that they have. You know, a lot of people are saying now, you know, well, I don't want a lot of stuff in my house. I'm a minimalist. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But what I'm saying is don't go to that level and say, oh, I have to get rid of this old quilt because there's too much stuff in my house. I'm saying get rid of something else. Right. Keep the quilt that your grandmother (laughs) made. (laughs) Everyone's grandmother didn't make them a quilt. That is something that's really, really special. And if we don't teach the younger generation these things, they're not going to know. Like I said, my mom passed away and there were things that were important to her thinking about materialistic things in her house mm-hmm. that I don't know the story behind everything. Yeah. So I could be giving away something or, you know, sending it to Goodwill that had a real, and I'm not talking monetary value, but 
that were valuable to her in terms of where they came from. Yeah. That I'm not going to know. So what I'm saying is you need to start telling your children these stories now. Get them to start writing the things down. Everyone talks about the pound cake that Aunt Mary made, right? Everyone loves that pound cake. And every time you do something, they want the pound cake. They want her to make it. Well, who's sitting in the kitchen with her to write the recipe? Mm -hmm. Because if something happens to her, no one's going to have that anymore. And I'm willing to guarantee if something happened to her, if someone made that cake and brought it to the next family function, everyone was going to remember her and talk about her because Mm -hmm. the cake reminded them of her. Right. So just the stories behind, you know, a couple of the quilts in the book are quilts that our family owns. So again, there's at least three in the book. And then you asked me about my very first quilt. So I told you it had sunflowers in it. So in the book, there was a vase of sunflowers that represents my very first quilt. And there was a period in time when Jesus and quilters were actually making stuffed animals. Oh, and really? so there's a stuff yes, there's a stuffed frog in the book as well. So I was able to share that and talk with one of my aunts and she's Oh yeah, that was mom. My mother, she made those. You're in, in different parts of the country. No one knows who has what <laughs> or who remembers what. So even in my own family, this book is sparking conversation. We were talking about how in the 60s, when Dr. King came to G's Bend, mm-hmm. and he came to encourage people to go and encourage them to vote. And so they had a ferry. They would take the ferry across the water to Camden to register to vote. Well, they didn't want African-Americans to register to vote. So they took the ferry away. And a lot of people back then didn't have cars. They didn't have ways to travel to Camden. I think if you go by land, it might have been a 45-minute drive. They had no way of going, so they couldn't vote. Wow. And she shared with me that my grandmother was actually arrested for marching and protesting that we have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And what it says to me is I'm sure I have family members who probably don't go out and vote all the time. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I definitely, I try to vote when it's the major ones, but I know that there are a few that I didn't go. I'm just going to be completely honest with Mm -hmm. you. But hearing that about my grandmother, it changes things. My grandmother went to jail so that I could vote. Oh, I definitely need to go and vote. I need to honor her and do that. Yeah. That's part of our family legacy, but I never do that. And so I had this conversation. So imagine the awakenings and the things that we can stir up in our own families. If we took the time, and and I do mean take the time, because we're so pressed for time. There's so many other things, so many responsibilities and things that have to be done. But if we were to take the time and really dig into and find out about our own histories, like I said, I didn't know what was special about my family until I found out that someone else's family didn't do it. All right, so let's take the time to learn about each other's family. Yeah. Because not only will we find out what's different, we will find out what's the same. And I really think that these stories and actually listening to these stories is what is going to help build empathy. It's going to help us to relate to each other in ways that we have not been able to relate to each other because we're not doing too good with that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The world we're living, we're not doing good with that at all. And I don't know if you also know, but I also have a activity and coloring book that goes along. Yeah, I was just thinking about storybook. Yeah, yeah. I, as you were talking about that, because in your activity book, you have a place for 
them to write their own story. And that is yes. so cool. Yes, there is a place for students to write their own story. And I tease with them, on too, going back to the school visit. So as an author, I had to pay for an editor to look at my book, to look at the coloring book, to make sure there weren't any mistakes. And so I said to them, you have an editor. Someone else is paying your editor. You don't even have to pay them. So when you write your story, take your stories to your teachers and have them read your stories and have them help you fix your stories. So we talked about that as well. So I really I have a lot of fun working with the children and sharing the book with them. And like I said, I really, really enjoy the questions that they ask. For example, one of the questions a student wanted to know is, do boys quilt? Hmm. And so I was able to share that, yes, definitely. And I actually put out a call on Instagram because I wanted people to tag male quilters because we want to know who you are. Yeah. And the last time I checked, I probably had maybe about eight or nine. Yeah, I've actually gotten to interview several male quilters. And on Raymond Houston's website, he has a whole list of them on one of his tabs. Oh, so I do have something. Uh, my next project is going to be something that addresses that question. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'm giving you a little spoiler. Yeah. A little sneak peek. So I'm looking forward to that. I will have your links on your episode page. So people will be able to find your Facebook page. Are there other links to you? Sure. So my website is www.gsbendmade.com. You can read more about our story there. And on Facebook, again, I'm G's Been Made. On Twitter, I am Tan, T-A-N, Irby, I-R-B-Y. And then on Instagram, we are also G's Been Made. Great. And there's even a link for... There was a woman who did a read aloud of the book. So if you're interested in hearing and seeing the pictures of the book, it's story time with Kayla. She did a really good job reading the book. Is there anything else you wanted to share with me today? I just want to share with you and your listeners that every family may not have a quilt story, but every family has a story. And if you want your story to live throughout the generations to generation to generation, it's your responsibility to make sure that you are telling and sharing those stories. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Tangela. I so enjoyed visiting with you today. Thank you for having me, Paula. I wish you the best. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. <music>